In your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14 and John chapter 10. There was a disciple whom Jesus loved. His name was John. Y'all stand with me this morning at the reading of God's Word. John 14 and John chapter 10. I want to encourage you, those of you that call Christ Chapel home, to come next week. Uh, got something special planned for you, so something important. And I just want to make sure that if all possible, uh, you'll be here next week. John chapter 14, verse 6, and John 10, verse 7. John 14, 6 reads this way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no person, no male, no female, no child, no, no human can come unto the Father but by me. And John chapter 10, 7 through 10. And Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. And would you do me a favor? Would you join with me and pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Father, I just humble myself before you this morning. And I thank you for the great privilege that's mine as well as many others in this room that we get to preach and teach your word. It's a holy and uh, high calling. And any minister that's ever tried to teach or preach is aware that Without your anointing, it profits nothing. The letter killeth, but it's the spirit that giveth life. And so I'm asking today, O oh Lord, that you would anoint uh, me as a person, as a man, to preach with such an unction and a clarity that the words would knit themselves to the fabric of our soul like water finding the lowest place, that they would go to the necessary place, the needful place, the intended place, and they would change our mind and change how we think of you and view you. And that revelation would pour in. And that we would have the courage and the character to make the changes necessary that this revelation is due. And I thank you for this opportunity and privilege, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Very simple this morning. I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about Christ, the truth. And Christ the door. Christ the truth. And Christ the door. Jesus taught truth. But that isn't what he's saying here. We know the words in red were spoken by Jesus. We know forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We know that God cannot lie. But he was not speaking primarily about a body of Christian doctrine, although we gather our doctrine from the Word of God. But in truth, he was telling us that he is the sense, he is the essence of honesty, reality, and a revelation of things as they are. He said, I'm the truth. So there's 
him the person and the words that flow from that person. The devil has been opposing, distorting, and lying against the truth since the Garden of Eden, where he approached uh, Eve and said, Hath God really said? Which means that uh, we can take into question God's word. God's word may not be real. It might not be from him. It may not be perfect. Uh, it may, may not be in the right season. Hath God really said Genesis 3, 4, then he corrected God. He said, if you eat of the tree, you shall not surely die. And then Genesis 3, 5, he took a shot at the character of God and said, God knoweth that the day you eat thereof, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the devil distorts truths, most of his lies involve flattering you and maligning God. Flattering you, catering to you, and maligning God. Eve, God knows that the day you eat, you're, you're going to become like him. You're going to be a God. And the, 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 the fruit is pleasant to the eyes. And, and, and it's appealing to you. And it'll bring knowledge. And you will not surely die. God's withholding stuff from you. God's trying to hold you back. He's an anti-pleasure God. He's an anti-fulfillment God. He's all about taking and not giving. Most of his lies, when the devil wants to lie to you, it's flattering to you and maligning to God. When we believe these lies, we lose sight of the way things really are in our life. And we live in a complete illusion and delusion about ourselves and God. It says in John 1.17, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It was at Calvary that Jesus was the truth. It wasn't the seven sayings of the Savior on the cross where we find the greatest truth. This truth was hidden in the person and revealed. And so I want to take just a moment uh, on this and let's look at the story of Calvary and think through this about Jesus being the truth. It was the truth about our standing with and before God. When Christ became sin for us, the Bible said that the wrath of God fell upon him. He was taken uh, and beaten and whipped and flogged. And the Bible tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. That abuse, him being an effigy of us, a, a type of us, shows us that our standing with God is not as Oprah declares, we're all children of God. No, we are strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise. And in our sin, there is nothing left but the, the wrath of God to fall upon our sinful lives. Jesus was abused because he became us. And it's in Jesus that we see our true condition, separate from God. I'm God. All of us are God's children. No. God and I are okay. No. Well, all of us are sinners. It's no big deal. No. It was the wrath of God displayed against the Christ. Him coming outside the camp, the Bible said. And outside the camp was where the lepers were. Where a, a refuse pile of the city burned day and night. It was called Guiana. It burned day and night. And everything infected and, and dead animals and refuse was all put in this fire. 
And that's where he was taken, outside the camp. So it reveals to us, Jesus the truth reveals to us that there was no approach that we could make toward God. There was nothing left but wrath and the alienation and separation of God, of us, from God. The abuse, the torture that Christ bore was the truth about us. That's how we know who we are before the Lord. It's not, I'm a good daddy, or I'm a good mom, or I try to do good to people. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, and the wages of sin is death. But now, not just truth, but grace came by Christ as well. This, this truth, let, let me back up just a moment. This truth, the truth about our deception. This generation especially, no one thinks that God views us that way because we're okay. But it's at Calvary that the Lord allows our deception bubble to burst. See, no one calls for a Savior that doesn't think they need saving. No one comes to a physician except they know they're sick. And we have a church today, and by church I mean gathering places, local bodies, that they, they pour in and the primary message is to tell you how to have a more full life. Seven steps to a better marriage. You might want to say 77. Just, you got to work on that. No, there's no seven steps to anything. Christ said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. And the wrath of God abideth in him. Our deception is we think we're better than we are. We think because we're comparing ourselves amongst other sinners, we find our confidence in that we are not like other men are. Do you remember the story in the Bible where Jesus said the Pharisee uh, and the publican were in the temple and both were praying and the publican was bowed over and was beating his chest? When's the last time you saw anybody at the altar? hitting their chest, beating themselves and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the other man says, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are. I'm comparing myself to other people. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. I don't molest children. I'm not covetous or angry. I thank you that I'm not as other men are. And Jesus posed the question. He said, who do you think left justified? He did not say that this man was not accurate in that he was not those things. That man may have been telling the truth, but was blind to the truth. That he himself was a sinner, separated from God with no witness in his heart that he belonged to the Lord. This other man knew that there's something in the way between you and I. I am guilty. My heart condemns me. My body uh, and my history proves that I'm not connected to you because all the works of the flesh follow me. And I, like Paul, have this battle that the good that I don't want to do, I do. And that which I want to do, I do not do. And I find this war going on inside of me. And I'm always failing. Who can deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't end there. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's the truth. The truth is, we are helpless. 
We are hopeless. We are sinful. There is no way to approach God. And we know our standing based on how Christ was treated. What you hear today in many churches and flooding television and the internet is a gospel about making your life better. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is not about a transformed life or a renewed life or a reinvigorated life. It's an exchanged life. It's not a progressive thing. It's a new birth where old things pass away and all things become new. This is where the scripture comes into play and it will be expressed that there will be many in that day that say, Lord, Lord. And by the way, unbelievers, we would say, don't call Jesus Lord. They don't, they don't pray. While talking to Christ, they call him Lord. So these are people that are well-versed in the word, well-versed in prayer, well-versed in how things are going. And they said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Which means a foretelling of God's word and a foretelling of the things God is doing. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done miracles and many mighty wonderful works? To which Jesus replied, I don't even know who you are. So we, it is imperative for us. That we know the truth, the person. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not just grace for our sins. It's truth so that we would apply, reach out and call for that grace. Because without it, there's no hope. Any salvation without an awareness of who we are and how God views us is not salvation. I can't be forgiven of something I've not repented of. I have, to, I have to see it. And when you see Christ on the cross, and please take me in context, the first thing is no, the first thing is not how he loves us. The first thing is, how lost am I? That's the first thing. Before you get to the grace part, there must be the awareness that I am dead in my trespasses and sin, and God. When, when you see on the screen, you know, many said they, they saw the movie about the uh, death of Christ and, and, and the crucifixion. And they said, I could hardly look. And they're saying because of what Jesus suffered. What they missed was, that's you. That bloodied face, that crown of thorns. They said, you want the earth? You want the world? And they pushed those crowns into his brow and said, there's the world. There's the curse. There's, there's the, the world that will turn its back on you in the end. And all of this was my sinfulness. And I'm not saying this this morning to embarrass you. It's to bring you into truth. Because when you come into truth and you're forgiven of these sins, you don't look down on anybody. You don't walk around with a pride or an arrogance that says, I'm better than other people. You go, I'm just happy to be in the family. And there's a gratitude there. There's a humility of heart. When you see, how could Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, how could he with integrity say, I'm the chief of sinners? Which means, pick out the worst among you. I'm worse than him. Okay. Was he 
self-deprecating? Was he lying? No. He had the revelation of Calvary. He was the one that explained to us what the crucifixion meant. How we were reconciled unto God. And he's the one that was called to bring that message to the church. And he goes, I'm the worst of all of you. He did not come to that conclusion based on comparing himself to one another. He had a wide open, full view of who Jesus is. That's the truth about me. And he didn't have time to look at anyone else. He said, I'm the worst of all of them. So what's the balance here, John? Well, grace and truth. Truth and grace. If I know the truth and I humble myself in the sight of the Lord and I bow my head, then the Lord will lift me up. And grace is given to those who humble themselves. So I want to connect it now to the door. So there's Christ the truth. And there's so many things we could have talked about. We could have talked about the way, the life, uh, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. But I want to focus on these two this morning. I felt the Lord leading me to share on them. Okay, Christ the door. The very fact that the Lord describes himself as the door presupposes that there is a barrier between us and God. There is no, we're all God's children. You just run into God. To have a door means that I am not just blocked off from something, but I'm kept in something. When I lock the door... When I locked the gate on my dog's pen uh, outside of these crazy dogs that dig out from under it, if you can imagine if the fence went down a couple hundred feet and up a couple hundred feet, not only am I keeping them out of something, I'm keeping them in something. And in our sin, we are kept in a bondage, the law of sin and death. And on the other side is grace and mercy, and the life that God gives. And what we need is a door. Not a door, but the door. And Christ is revealing himself as that avenue. Since the very first transgression, when Adam and Eve sinned, We've all been born on this side of the flaming sword that keeps us from a personal relationship with God. After sin, an angel stood in front of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword and no one can enter in again. They're blocked out. And our churches are filled with people that come into the building and never get on the other side. And they have satisfied themselves with a religion of attendance and acknowledgement. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe. Well, the devil believes that Jesus is God. Have you traveled through the door? Have you walked through the door? It implies there's a barrier, but it shows that the grace of God provides a way through that barrier. The gospel primarily does not call us to try to be like Christ. Now, hear me out. When God births us again and gives us his spirit... That spirit works in us and we are imitators of Christ. We are representatives of Christ. But the gospel, the message of, of who we are before grace and the message of how God saves us is not primarily about trying to be like Christ, but coming through Christ. 
We were presented with a door rather than an example. Again and again, we find Paul's epistles punctuated with the phrase, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we have redemption of sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or something to that equivalent. Over and over and over. And I want you to get a mental image today that everything, without exception, that you is available to you, or God wants to bring to you, comes through the door. No pastor, no preacher, no pope, no bishop, no dead saint, no beads, nothing. The door. And through Christ, I have access to let my petitions be made known to God. Through Christ, I have forgiveness of sins. Through Christ, I receive provision. And God will supply all of your needs in glory and His riches through glory. Through Christ, the Lord. Everything, everything, everything in your Christian life, every provision is through Christ. And see, that revelation will humble you and bring worship out of your heart, seeing him as that door. We never read of a blessing or an experience of good that God has for us without first seeing how and where it comes to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ is a promised door. Early from the garden, he spoke of a, of a, of a heel that would bruise Satan's head. We, we see the skin of a lamb placed upon, uh, a skin of an animal placed upon Adam and Eve. We, we see a priest that goes through a veil, always pointing towards Christ. And when Christ came and he died for us, the veil in the temple which separated God from the high priest, and the high priest was separated from uh, the inner court, and the inner court was separated from the outer court, and the outer court to the Gentiles, and out in the lobby, all of that, that veil ripped from top to bottom, providing access for us to God. He was a promised door. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this. And having therefore brethren boldness. To enter into the holy of holies. By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say his flesh. That ripped open. And now having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with full assurance. Full assurance that we have the eye of God. We have the heart of God. And connected to our prayers are the hand of God. Because we come through the door. The door. Christ is the exclusive door. And listen, you can get mad. You can write about me on Facebook. You can leave. It's good and fine. He is not a door. He's not part of the door. Where you mix and match religions. One door. One door. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One door. Well, how can you say with all these religions, so you're telling me with the billion plus people on this planet and tens of thousands of religions, you're telling me there's only one door. Exactly. One door. Well, I have a door. Well, I ain't going through it. Y'all remember, let's make a deal. Choose a door. Well, I know which door I'm choosing. You better choose wisely. And somebody lose a car. I remember in the 70s, and, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And then they get a donkey. Y'all remember? And you have that music. Wah, 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 wah. And it feels so, they're just crestfallen. And I'm not making light. Well, it, it, 
Just because you choose it don't mean it's the right door. That's why. So any old people remember who the MC was? Let's make a deal. Monty Hall, that's right. Ain't wasn't Bob Barker. Y'all get your shows right. So if you're on Let's Make It, young people are like, let's make a who? What are they talking about? Get on YouTube. You can find it. Back when they had good game shows like Match Game. So if you're on Let's Make a Deal, what if, or a show like it, I don't know what he, I don't watch any of them no more. I, don't, I just don't know. So you're on the thing and there's door number one, door number two, or door number three. And he said, I'll give you, and back then this was a lot of money, I'll give you $1,500 cash. You know, now it'd have to be 100000 for somebody to listen to him. But I'll give you $1,500 cash if you'll give me, uh, they picked the door, said they picked door number one. And they said, no, no. And you got people, take the money! Take the money! And then it'd just be some, you know, a frying pan or something. And the wife just hit the husband. You're an idiot. We could have did you. But what if Monty Hall comes up beside you, and you're on this thing, you got door number one, door number two, door number three. And he leans over off camera and says, pick door number one. What? Well, he might know. If it's on his little card, but now there's checks and balances. And See, back when we grew up, there weren't those checks and balances. You could let people win. You could just tell them. He said, pick door number one. And you go, which one you want? Door number one. And you're looking at Monty. All right now. You want a new car and a house and a coupon that you can win the next ten arguments with your wife. And he's just jumping around. Yay, I win, I win. That wasn't in my notes, by the way, because I'd have picked a lot better illustration than that. I'm just. Christ is whispering to us pick me. Pick me. It's my show. It's my world. It's my judgment seat. Pick me. And all the secular humanists of the world surround themselves with other ignorant people like us and by consensus well all roads lead to heaven pick me pick me Christ the door exclusively it's not through the door of Christ and then through a door of works through Christ and then through the door of joining a church through Christ and then other activities no no an exclusive door no doors after it no doors before it. Christ is an intentional fitting door. Perfectly designed for failures and sinners like you and I. I fit through it. With all my garbage. With all my baggage. With all my regrets. There was just enough room for me to get through. This gospel is cut out to fit sinners. I'm, I guess it's game show Sunday. I, I can't remember. Do y'all remember that one where there's a cutout of a human shape and the person, it's coming towards them? Do y'all remember that? What was that? Come on, I can't hear you. Bowling ball? Hole in the wall. Okay. I ain't losing my hair. What are you talking about? And the classic one is there's this design shape like this, you know, like this. And there's this 300-pound woman that's five foot. And you're like, 
you know what's coming. Mildred ain't making it through the hole, you know. There's just too much left over. And <laughs> But when you see one where the girl's like a little car antenna, you know, she whistles when she runs. Striped pajamas got one stripe. That's a solid. See if you're wearing solid. I like your striped shirt. And she does her little shape. You go, I, I think she's going to make it. I think she's going to make it. And she goes through. His provision fit my worst. It fit me. It's a personal door. You can't go with it. Go through it with me. It's my sin. It's my Savior. It's my door. It's my forgiveness. It's my truth. It's my grace. It's personal to me. Our family don't get saved all at one time. No, no, I appreciate the influence of my parents and grandparents, but it's mine. It's my salvation. Don't fall in the trap of serving your mama's God or your daddy's God or your grandparents' God. He's your God. Have that revelation, that illumination for yourself. It's a personal door. It's an open door. That means there's no obstacle between you and God when that door opens. You can't beat on it and get it to open. You know, that's our culture. You knock and it opens. You don't knock on God's door. He knocks on yours. And it's open. In this dispensation, now you can't come to God anytime you want. The Father has to draw you. But if the Lord is drawing you to Himself, that door is open for you. You don't have to find keys. He's the key. He's the door. There's no, there's no lock on your side that you can stick a key in. It's an, it's an accessible door. Romans 10 says this. Say not in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or who shall descend into the deep to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith thee? What saith it? The word is nigh you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You don't have to create an ambience or go through any forms or rituals. The door is accessible. Be careful of religions that you need a man to get you to the door. This is a street level door. Street people can walk in. I don't need a mediator. He's the mediator. He's the only thing that I need to get to God's presence. And it's accessible. The drug addict can walk right up to the door in humility and go through. The person that abused children can go right up to the door and confess Christ as Lord and repent. See himself as God sees him and say, I am that and more and I have no hope without you. Forgive me of my sins. And the door is open. And we have a hard time with that. We want grace for white, middle class, 
social people like us, but not for other races, other, other sins that we would never commit. Let me tell you something. Grace is a scandal. That someone like me gets to come through the door and preach to other people is a scandal. But the door was open. Who do you think you are? Just somebody that went through the door. What, what right do you have? No, door, no, no rights, just the door was open. So, so what do you bring? Nothing but my failures, but the door was open. And it fit me. And it was at a street level. I didn't have to climb through ritual or progression or, or religious ideas and steps and stages. I just went to the door. And you don't beat on this door. It's already been beaten. You just speak to the rock. You speak to the door. And water comes out and it opens before you. Ben, if you would come please this morning. It's a low door. Only those that bend over can come through. Only those that humble themselves and are low enough can come through. You can't come through Christ proud. You say, I did. No, you didn't. You're deceived. To see yourself and come before the Lord looking at Him eye to eye shows me that you haven't seen yourself. You come before Him and you don't even want to look up. You remember when you came to faith? And you just go, God, I'm, I am wretched, miserable, blind, naked, poor. Oh, God, there's, there's no, no reason I can ask except for your mercy. And that humility is the shape. The humility makes us into the shape. It brings us low enough that we can come before the Lord. It's a narrow door. No one can do it with you. It's a small door. No one can go with you. It's a door of separation. It not only opens in front of you, but it closes behind you. July 6, 1986, when as a man, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't act like, don't think I was giving him anything. It was petrid, putrid, uh, gross infected, diseased. But I gave him not only my past and not only that day, and I said, whatever else left of my life, I want you to have it all. When I walked through that door, I have never been more saved than I was in that moment. But that door shut behind me. It not only opened a door for me to come into the life of God, it shut the door on this world. And if you love this world, you have not walked through the door of Christ. You, you cannot. You can't love the world and love God. The Bible says if you love the world, you're the enemy of God. And you can't be on this side of the door and hate the Lord. It, 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 it can't work. This is where we work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. And the only thing you work out is making sure, did I come through the door? Did it close behind me? Now, this may sound like small stuff to you, but for a 24-year-old, that the only thing I had was my college friends. I was part of a fraternity at that day and time. It was, I was SAE, 
I had one most respected brother, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, like honor among thieves kind of thing, you know. Uh, and I remember when I got saved that Sunday morning, uh, uh, when the people come back to school for fall, school hadn't even been back a week or two. And I'd stacked up all my jerseys, you know, had the little Sigma Alpha Epsilon and my name on the back and my football jerseys and my pledge pin and my brother pin. And I felt like I needed, I needed, this didn't save me. This was the evidence of it in me. I said, I, I got I to gotta get on the other side of this. So I walked in the lodge and I had all my jerseys and my little pins stacked up. And one of the brothers said, what are you doing? I said, well, I told individuals along the way, but I wanted to tell all of you that I've been born again. I'm saved. And I can't be part of this no more. Well, why not? I said, no, I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. I'm not strong enough to live in this hell and stay afloat. I, I've got to, and I'm thinking in my mind, I've just got to distance myself. I've got to make a break. And one of my buddies tapped on a, I remember it like yesterday, 30 years ago. See this bar stool? Six months. You'll be right here. Your life this year is 30 years. But, hey, you know why you clapping? That ain't my story. That was yours. You heard the door shut behind you. This is it. Buy all my eggs in one basket. And if I'm wrong, I'm the biggest fool that ever lived. But Jesus told me on stage, pick me. And I like my odds. It's a door to forgiveness. It's a door to reconciliation. It's a door to a clear conscience. It's a door to peace. It's a, a door to rest. Jesus said, learn of me and you'll find rest unto your souls. It's a door of joy. Old, a door of newness. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's life. It's not just, okay, you're forgiven. Now I can't do what I used to do, so what I'm going to do? You're going to live. Now, this open door, this accessible door, this fitting door, this divine door, this low door, this intentional door, I want everybody to look at me, whether on the screen or here is fine. It's a closing door. Oh, no, Brother Wood. Grace is always available. No. Corporately, it's not closing. But individually, it is. Jesus said this about the Jews. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and thou that killest the prophets, how often would I have gathered you together as a mother hen does its chicks, but you would not. Therefore, as of now, your house is left unto you desolate. And the curse was pronounced. And Esau... When he realized that his birthright was gone, he sought forgiveness and repentance with tears and he was rejected. He said, that hour is past. It's over. There comes a time in the life of an individual where you can preach grace to them and grace is no longer available. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you the truth. Mom, I don't know if you remember this. This was I was a young, young boy when Daddy told me this. 
but it was so poignant that I still remember it to this day. So what, 40 plus years later, he went to a man's house who was dying and he was throwing up his insides. Like part of his organs were decomposing. He was throwing up his literal insides. And daddy told him, he said, pray with me. Just pray with me. And in between his throwing up, he said, it's too late, preacher. That day is past. And he died with him in the room. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you, you can't just come and knock on the door. It's invitation. And when the Holy Spirit starts to stir on your heart, this is, this is what I wanted to close with. He said, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. I believe, and I'll be corrected or judged in heaven. If my motive is pure, I'll just be corrected. I believe, had I not given my life to the Lord that day, I would have died in my sins. I would have died in my... There was so much grace, so much of His Spirit, so much patience, so much forbearance. And there may be someone here today, your clock is running out. And I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to warn you. So if God says, what will you do with my son today? Would you walk away? Would you... What if you get later on in your life and you go up to the door and it's locked? No man can come to me unless my father draws him. Is the Lord drawing you this morning? Would you bow your heads? Pastor John, whether this is an unbeliever or backslider, there is definite barriers between me and God. Barriers of sin or deception. And I want to move out of my pride. And I want to go lean against that door and see if it's open for me. With no one looking around, I want you just to come. Just get up. No hype, no fanfare, and just come and kneel at this altar. God bless you, sis. God bless you. People coming from all over this building. I don't want nothing between me and you. Could I have a, a lady with each lady, guy with each guy? Now, don't overpower their prayer. Just let them pray, but just come say, I, 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 I know this door for myself, and I'm with you today. God bless you, sir. People coming from all over this building. God bless you. The Lord knew you'd be here today. He knew what you needed to hear concerning Him. I got two gentlemen up here. Katrina, will you come pray with me? Saints praying all over this building, would you? I need a lady with this lady here, please. 
aqui. Hey, backslider, come home. In the name of Jesus, right now, just come home. I'm not going to give you any other words. Just come home. Come on. Where are you? Come home. In the name of Christ, come home. Where are you? Come home. Come home. This door is open for you. Come home. Saints praying. By the power of the Holy Spirit, come home. You're not too tangled. You're not too bound. The Son, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Come home. no one looking around for the disciples that are in the congregation some of you have come through you know you've come through the door but you went back and cracked it so that you could let some of the world back in just where you're seated I want you to see yourself go push that door closed I want you to hear it shut I'm done with my old life Lord I'm done with my old ways. Church, would you stand with us as these are praying in the altar? We're going to sing this hymn of dedication for those of us how many of you how many of you approached that door and you went through it hold your hand up just a minute is he who he said he was has he done what he said he would do let's sing this as a close in benediction Tis so